0: Today I'm continuing the series of sermons that I began three weeks ago, entitled "Aliens, Strangers, and Reformers." When I began this series, uh, this series, we started out by looking at how God has consistently told His people, first the Israelites and then we as Christians, that we are not to be like all the others in the world; that we are set apart for a special relationship with Him. In effect that we are to remain aliens and foreigners, to be in the world but not of the world, that we are to be different in how we worship and how we live. But throughout history, the temptation to be like the others around us, to worship other gods and follow other codes of morality and ethics has often been too great. So over and over, first the Israelites and then we Christians have betrayed God's trust, especially in one of two ways either by following after and worshiping other gods, that is, putting other things ahead of God and his will, or by giving into greedy materialism and seeking gain by taking advantage of those who are weaker, especially the poor, the widows, the orphans, and the strangers. And sometimes these two have come together when our greedy materialism has become our God. Last week we looked at the many things God has said to us about welcoming foreigners, the strangers in our land. How it is important for us to welcome and care for the needs of foreigners in the same way that we are supposed to care for the needs of widows and orphans. This obviously is something that's very much in the news these days. But now today I want to talk about something that is an issue not very much in the news. And the reason it's not very much in the news is because this has become so much part of our lives and our culture that we hardly ever even notice it anymore. Yet it's the one thing I absolutely believe most often prevents people in our Western culture from growing in their love for God and for other people. That thing which can stymie all other efforts to grow in Christ... The challenge which I believe keeps more of us away from a fulfilling relationship with God than anything else is our relationship with money and material possessions. I'm sure you realize that's where I was going since the title of the sermon is God and Money. This is a matter I've spoken about before several times over the last eight or nine years in this church, but it bears repeating because it continues to be a spiritual problem for all of us. The temptation is always there. The primary scripture I've chosen today is one that's very short, simple, and direct. It is from the sixth chapter of the book of Matthew. Hear now this, which is the word of the Lord. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. May God add his blessing to this reading of his word. Now, it was something of a challenge because there are many different scriptures I could have chosen as the basis for this sermon from both the Old and New Testaments. And I'll probably touch on a couple as we go along. There are literally hundreds of verses throughout the Bible that talk to us about the dangers of a love for money and material possessions. In fact, Jesus clearly himself did not have any trouble talking about money. Jesus said more about the dangers of money and material possessions than any other single topic except the kingdom of God. More than he talked about prayer or worship or the devil or sexual sin or heaven or almost anything else. God and mammon, or God and money, as this version has it, the widow's mite, the rich young ruler, the servant with the entrusted talents, God, uh, Jesus was constantly commenting on money and material possessions and how we are supposed to rightly relate to them. Why do you suppose that was? Why do you think Jesus put so much emphasis on money and material goods and how they affect us? I think very simply it's because Jesus knew that money, especially the desire for wealth and the power that goes along with it is almost certainly the greatest temptation and most serious spiritual challenge that we face. The relationship with money and material possession keeps more people, I believe, away from God and from a fulfilling relationship with God than any other single thing. Martin Luther wisely observed, and I quote here, there are three conversions necessary. The conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the purse. And of these three, I think Luther would agree that the conversion of the purse is often the most difficult of all. You see, money is not neutral. It's often said that, well, money is not inherently good or bad, it's just how you use it. But the fact is that money itself has power in our world. Jesus spoke about money as though it were a conscious force when he said here in Matthew 6, you cannot serve both God and money. There is no other inanimate object that Jesus invests with so much authority to challenge our love and service to God. But for all of that, some of us are already uncomfortable with the fact that I'm talking about money in a sermon. I have often heard people say, well, you shouldn't talk about money in church. You know, I think that's one of the devil's best tricks That even though the love of money is such a huge spiritual issue for all of us, and it was such a major focus of Jesus' teaching, we have tried to convince ourselves that money is something we shouldn't talk about in church. In fact, my own father, uh, earlier, before he became a Christian very late in life, he used to say that the only reason preachers talk about money is so that people will give more money so the preacher can be paid more. Well, let me assure you, if you're not aware of this, that when I preach about money, it's not because I or Pastor Wayne want you to pay us more because we don't get paid anything. We're entirely volunteers. So every year, almost every session meeting, somebody makes a joke about doubling our salaries. So we do talk about money in this church, and I can do so boldly knowing that it's not to any advantage that I might accrue. And I talk about it because we desperately need to talk about it to make sure we are not being spiritually damaged or even destroyed in our relationship with God because of our relationship to money. This is especially true in Western culture today, whether we are convinced of that or are aware of it or not, because we have decided, in the U.S. especially, somewhat in Canada, somewhat in Western Europe, that wealth is the ultimate sign of success in life. Now, why do I say that? If you don't believe it, think about it for a minute. A person can be married to his fourth wife or his fifth husband, her fifth husband, can have a horrendous relationship with his or her children, be hated by their employees, be addicted to alcohol and drugs, be completely lost socially and spiritually. But if they are wealthy and famous, we will still put their pictures on the covers of magazines, we will build memorials to them, and we will try to be like them. Don't you think that we make money the primary criteria for success? We don't even pay attention to those other things when somebody is that wealthy. Our culture counts money and the related fame that comes with money as the ultimate sign of success even when everything else in a person's life points to complete failure. And we are part of the culture that does that. So we're talking about money and material possessions. I want to bring some basic biblical perspectives for us to better understand money and how it affects us and our spirituality. The first point I want to make, you will have heard me say before, because I've often mentioned it, if you are new to the church or, heaven forbid, you weren't paying attention, then I will talk about these things again. The first point I want to make, which may shock you if you haven't heard it, is that as far as money and material possessions go, you don't really own anything. God owns everything. He even owns the people in your life. Your property, your house, your car, your cash, your investments, your spouse, your children, everything belongs to God. God is the owner, and we are simply caretakers. Steward is the word that is used in the Bible. One who cares for the property of an, uh, a, the real owner who is not immediately present. We are the stewards of God's world and his possessions. Scripture is clear in this. Psalm 24 1 says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And as I've often said, once we realize that that is true, that God owns everything, the only real question left to us is what does God want us to do with his stuff? One of my favorite ever cartoons in The New Yorker, and I've referred to this a dozen times, I'm sure, over the years, is two men standing in a huge picture window. They're in smoking jackets, holding a drink, and they're looking out at this beautiful sort of rolling landscape, and the caption is one of them saying, well, yes, I suppose God made it, but I own it. The reason that's in a cartoon, the reason that's funny, is because down deep we inherently know that it cannot be true. We all know that, in fact, we don't really own anything. If you don't believe that, try dying next week and see who owns it then. So our first point is that God owns everything. We actually don't own anything. We are only taking care of it until the true owner decides to take it back. And that is God. The second point I would make is that God has made us caretakers of the stuff in His world for a reason, actually for two reasons. The first reason is that God wants us to enjoy our lives. might be a shock to some people who have a wrong idea about God. God wants us to do more than just survive. He wants us to be happy. It specifically says in Scripture that He gives us good things for our enjoyment. The Apostle Paul, in writing to his student Timothy in 1 Timothy, the 6th chapter, says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God is not stingy. He does not want us just to survive or just get by. He wants us to have a full and enjoyable life. I have often said, this is the reason that not all food tastes like oatmeal. God gives us pleasure in the things, even the things that are necessary for our survival, because He wants us to enjoy them. Not to excess, but He wants us to enjoy. Jesus came to earth not just to bring us salvation, but to bring us abundant life. He said, I come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. God wants us to enjoy our lives and the things of His that He has entrusted to our care. That's the first reason. The second reason God has entrusted things to our care is so that we can share them with people in need at the right times. Matthew 6, earlier than this passage I've chosen, uh, verse 24, but in the third and fourth verses of that chapter, says, When you give to the needy, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Two verses later, it says again, when you give to the needy. Do you hear the assumption in that? It's not if you give to the needy. It's when you give to the needy. So one, God owns everything. Two, He's made us caretakers of His stuff for our enjoyment and to share with others in their time of need. And third... Since God already owns everything, He does not need for you to give in order to accomplish His will in the world. We do not have a God that is sitting in His throne in heaven wringing His hands and saying, oh, I sure hope those people at Lakeside Presbyterian give this week so that my will can be done on earth. Psalm 50, God says, I have no need of a bull from your stalls or of goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountain and every creature of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Psalm 50, starting with verse 9. So why does God want you to give... If he doesn't need you to give, why should you give? You should give because you need to give. Just as you need to read the Bible and pray and worship and learn of God and fellowship of uh, brothers and sisters and use your God-given gifts for service, you need to give back to God from the money and possessions you have entrusted to you in order to be spiritually healthy. You need to do it because money and possessions have great power to affect you spiritually, either positively or negatively. If you are so attached to money that you won't share it with those in need, and especially if you will not give to the things of the church, whether this church or some other aspect of the Church of Christ, and the work of God's kingdom, remembering that it all belongs to God anyway, then you by definition have an unhealthy relationship with money. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit more in a second, but more than half of Christians, church-attending Christians in the United States, never give anything to their church. And that affects them spiritually. If you are in that category, you give nothing or very little, then whether you know it or not, whether you care to admit it or not, you are being damaged spiritually. I can even give you, with considerable accuracy, a little test that you can apply to yourself as to whether money and finances are a problem for you, and that simple little test is what I call the yes-but test. If when you hear me or anyone else in the church or otherwise telling you that you should be using your money to care for people in need to do the work of God in the church, That you need to be careful about your relationship with money to be generous in giving to those in need. If in your mind you are thinking, well, yes, but. If those people would just go out and get a job. If they didn't waste their money. If they were as responsible as I was. If they had grown up having to work the way I did. Yes, but. There's always an excuse. If you say yes, but when someone tells you to give of your resources to the things of God, then you have a spiritual problem in your relationship with money. You are in a kind of bondage because your heart will follow your money. Again, in the same chapter, in Matthew 6, it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, where's your treasure? Are you in bondage to the love of money? If so, you can break that bondage. That is the good news for us today. You can break that bondage simply by beginning to give, by being generous, especially to give back to the things of God, contributing to the work of God, to care for His, for the need of others, To build up his church on earth. We can break the hold that money and material possessions may have on us. When we give back to God, it becomes a demonstration of our love for God and for other people. It is a critical part of growing our love for God and in our love for others. Now while my point today is about spiritual ramifications of money and material possessions and of giving or not giving, I would be remiss if I didn't say something about the practical aspects of it. And I've shared these numbers before, and I just mentioned half of American church-attending Christians never give anything to their church. That's from Barner Research. This is a, there's research to support that. Of those who do give, less than 6%, 1 in 15 roughly, tie that is, give 10% of their resources, although 17% of them claim that they tithe. To give you some idea what that means in practical terms, and again, I've shared these, these numbers before, the best estimates are that if Christians just in the United States, that doesn't mean I'm letting you Canadians and Mexicans and other folks off, but just in the U.S. as an example, if Christians in the United States would tie, would give just 10% of their income back to the church, to the needs of others over the next 10 to 12 years, they would be more than twice as much money as is needed to stop all starvation, all malnutrition on the entire planet, to provide clean water and sanitation to everyone on earth, and to ensure that every child would get an education. In other words, if Christians just in America were doing even half of what we should be doing financially to give back to the things of God and to people in need, if we were being compassionate and helping others the way God has told us, very clearly we should. Most of the world's pressing needs could be met in a decade. I don't know about you, but I find that appalling. We have it within our hands as the Church of Jesus Christ to heal. To change the world for those who are in need around the world, and we are not willing to do it. It's especially sad because many Christians either don't know or don't care that what they give or don't give to the church has a direct impact on their spiritual well-being. But now you do know. So you need to think about, do I need to change my relationship with money? Do I need to begin to do more to give to the things of God? to give to the needs of those who are poor in the community? Or else, if you're not going to do that, then stop making a sham of it. Just admit to yourself and to God that you really don't care that He has told us to do this, that you love money and material possessions more than you love God, or the church, which is the body of Christ, or the people who are desperately in need all around us, and just keep the money for yourself as much as possible at least until you die, and then it goes to somebody else. It's your choice. But remember that the issue is not that God needs your money. He does not. God is doing fine, thank you. And our church, while it has good and responsible ways to use whatever gifts you give, our church doesn't need your money either and our elders and deacons don't need your money and I and Carolyn don't need your money. We've never taken it so obviously we don't need it. You should give for one reason because you need to give. To give back to God and to the things of God through this church and other places so that you can grow in the Lord. So in summary, how should we act toward our money and material possessions? One: Keep it in perspective. Money and possessions are a dangerous, perhaps the most dangerous temptation because they are so acceptable in our culture. Our culture has completely bought into the idea that success is measured in terms of financials. But we Christians need to hold money and material possessions lightly, and we need to use them well, and never let them control us. Because if we are not careful, we will end up worshiping money and possessions As Jesus warned us here in Matthew 6, you cannot serve both God and money. You need to decide where your treasure is going to be. And remember, you should never love anything that can't love you back. And your money will not love you back, nor your house, nor your car, nor any physical thing. Secondly, remember that everything belongs to God anyway. Develop the spiritual discipline of giving back to the things of God from what He has entrusted to you as the steward of His resources. In the Old Testament, it was required that the Jews give one-tenth of all the possessions back to the temple, back to the things of God. That's no longer a law for us. We are relieved of the responsibility legally for that, but tithing is still a very good idea. It is a good measure. It reflects our love and our gratitude to God for all he has given us and is something you should seek to do, to give one-tenth back. And if you think to yourself, (coughs) okay, do I tithe off my gross or off my net? You still don't get it. The goal is to be as generous as possible because that's the third thing. Do more than just tithe. Be generous. Look for opportunities to give, especially to those in need. And don't be too worried about the accounting. Oh, well, I can't give to that person who's really hungry because we've already given our 10%. We've maxed out our tax deductions. Again, if those are the things you're saying or thinking, you don't get the point yet. You need to see the resources that you have as opportunities for blessing others and yourselves. Carolyn and I have been greatly blessed in our lives. And from time to time, we will know someone in need and we will try to help them, not someone that we can make a tax deduction on. And I remember the first time we were helping a a friend of Carolyn's and she said, oh, you can't do this. And I said, no, it's amazing. It's the most astonishing thing. Like twice a month, they send us this money so that we can do things like give it to somebody who needs it like you. That's what it's for. Earl Palmer, our old pastor in Seattle, he and his family, uh, when he was fairly young in ministry and the family was all at home, they were going on a vacation one time. It was the first time he'd taken a sabbatical vacation, and because they were staying with missionaries in various places and they'd gotten discount tickets, they were literally going around the world. You know, not luxury, but they were looking forward to this. And one of the people in the church in Seattle came up to him and said, Earl, I want you, here's $100. It's just mad money you know, take the family out to a nice meal, buy everybody ice cream two or three times, whatever you want, this hundred dollars is just for you to spend the way you want. Well, as Earl and Shirley and their kids traveled around the world, they said that like the first missionary house they stayed at, they were there and they meet somebody and they talk about, well, you know, this little girl is needing medicine and we were trying to get something. One of the kids in Earl's family said, Dad, we can give them that hundred dollars in order to pay for the medicine. And so they did. And like the second missionary house they were at, there was a program they were trying to get together clothes for some people in need. And one of the other kids said, hey, Dad, why don't we give them that $100 so they can buy clothes? And again and again and again, everywhere they went, there would be a need somewhere among the missionary families or the churches they were visiting, and they would always say, hey, we've got that $100. And Earl said, we never missed it. I think this is what scripture means when it says, don't, when you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Don't be too concerned about the accounting, but give generously. But remember that the best way to break the hold the money has on you is to start to give more of it away. And you will be astonished, I promise you, how much there ends up being to give away. Share what you have and remember that Jesus told us where your treasure is, there your heart is also. My final instruction to you today is that you pray about this. About how God would have you perhaps change your relationship to money and material possessions. That they might no longer be a barrier to you. And realize that if you are fearful about money, if you are fearful about having enough, God wants us to be responsible. But he never wants us to be afraid. You cannot be a person of faith and a person of fear at the same time. That's true of money as much as anything else. And so may God richly bless you all. May you have a balanced relationship with your resources. Carol and I will be praying for you. Amen.